0: We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we are producing this podcast from and pay our respects to the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge the traditional owners of the land you are listening from today.
1: Watching cricket is like watching a thriller. It can be a smooth ride or there can be sudden twists and turns. It's filled with acts of heroism
0: and moments of pain. Of course, heroes get us glued to the game. From the early days, spectators have flocked to the stadiums or television screens to watch the extraordinary talents.
1: Players like Don Bradman, Gary Sobers, Wave Richards, Kapil Dev, Sachin Tendulkar and Shane Warne.
0: But in this episode of Colours of Cricket, we are going to talk about the pioneers who are not as well known, but have left a great mark on the game. Particularly, the cricket connections between Australia and South Asia.
1: Colours of Cricket, a podcast series that takes a closer look at the subcontinental fans, international players and community cricketers from the Australian perspective. And I am Preeti Japa.
0: I am Kola Segaram Sanchayan. When we looked at the history of Cricket Connections, we touched on many pioneers and their contributions. But here, we are going to take a deeper dive, some amazing stories and anecdotes about a few legends, less-known players who left a big mark and cricket enthusiasts who have contributed to the game from the other side of the boundaries.
1: Let's start with a poem. In 1897, the Shoalhaven advertiser published a poem about a visiting British player.
2: They may call him Langy Pangy, They may call him Raging Sin. They may call him Ranting Singer, Ranoi Ginger, Rum and Jim, Rampant Stingo, ranket Stinker. But in spite of names like that, he can prove himself a clinker when they send him out to bat. Langipangi,
0: Ranting Singer, Raman Jin, Rampat Stingo, we know who it was. We have already mentioned him in the previous episodes.
1: Yes, it was about Ranjit Singhji, the Indian prince of Navanagar who played for the English side in the Ashes Tour to Australia and scored a century in his first innings.
0: The media reports from that time indicate that he made a huge impact in Australia, not only with his batting skills, but outside the pitch as well, thanks to all the glamour
2: and mystery he had owned.
1: Another newspaper wrote this about his batting style.
2: The Indian has the eye of the hawk and wrists like Toledo steel, and the finest of the batsman's arts are his the art of timing the ball. Other men can hit harder, for Prince is too slight to put, say, Frank Suggs' beef into the stroke, but the ball leaves his blade with the swiftness of thought, as old Myron says of Belgium's cutting.
1: Ranji got more attention than any other player on both the Australian and the English sides on that tour. This is because he was the only brown player among the 22 that played. He wore a princely aura and of course the extraordinary batting skills he demonstrated.
0: His interviews were published on a regular basis. Each innings he played and each century he scored. Not only in Australia, but in England or at a later stage in India as well. Do you know, even when he ascended the throne in 1907, the media frenzy did not stop Every activity was widely reported here in Australia.
1: One of the articles that appeared on Sydney's evening news was titled Ranji Ranji Everywhere. There were many poems and stories about Ranji appearing regularly in newspapers and magazines.
0: It is interesting to note that most of the stories were decorated with an oriental flair. Something like this appeared on the Maitland Daily Mercury on the 24th of August 1899.
2: An excellent story used to be told in university circles about Ranjit Sinha. It was said that on one occasion at the beginning of his career, he had made a good score in an important match. The good news was duly announced to his father in his distant Indian state. The message that returned was as follows. It is well, I have sacrificed a hundred sheep.
1: But it was not only the mystery and charm. His batting prowess had also received equal attention. In a short international career spanning over six years, he played 15 matches against Australia, of which five were on Australian soil.
0: He scored 457 runs in those five matches at an average of 50.77. He scored one century and three fifties 50s in that single Ashes series.
1: It was more than the runs he scored, it was his style that got him more fans and media attention in Australia, especially when playing the leg glance a shot that Ranjit Singhji introduced to cricket.
0: Gideon Hay, one of the most well-known cricket journalists in Australia, says there was another side to the story as well. Cricket was not just a game to Ranji, but something more.
3: He was associated with royal blood in his little state of Jamnagar. And he wrote about the game in the Pall Mall Gazette. He was an extremely fashionable cricketer. He was about to write the Jubilee Book of Cricket with C.B. Fry. He was the most exciting figure in cricket at that stage and the fact that he came to australia as a dark-skinned man in a largely white population and immediately attracted fascination and adoration and even love was hugely enhancing of australians understanding of the possibilities of cricket from the east I wouldn't want to exaggerate that at the same time, though, because Ranjit Sinji looked upon himself very much as an empire cricketer, not an Indian cricketer. He had no wish to represent India himself. He actually didn't do very much to advance the cause of Indian cricket. He was a bird of passage, as Lord Harris called him. He was using cricket as a means to advertise himself with ambitions to uh, to further his kingly ambitions in India. But there's no doubt that when we got our first sight of that style of play and our first sniff of, of that waft of exoticism, we were kind of intrigued.
0: It looks like Ranjit Sinji, in 1900s, had created more frenzy than Sachin Tendulkar or Virat Kohli in recent years.
1: Yes, I don't think we've seen many poems or songs about them in any of the newspapers.
4: You are listening to the Colours of Cricket.
0: From that Eastern mysticism, we should move to the Western audacity. There's another name that should be remembered from that era. And that was Frank Tarrant.
1: An Aussie. Not an international player, nor a known name in the cricketing circles. But someone who could be termed as a cricket diplomat who paved the foundation for a long-term cricketing relationship. The cricketing relationship between Australia and India.
0: This is another name we mentioned in one of the early episodes. But we should know more about him. Frank Tarrant was born in Melbourne. His career began with Sheffield Shield, but he didn't make a name there. He went to England, had a long career as an all-rounder for Middlesex in county cricket. And after the First World War, he became quite active in India, appearing for the Europeans in the Bombay Quadrangular Tournament, one of the first major cricket tournaments in India.
1: He coached the cricket team of the Maharaja of Patiala, and was a mastermind behind Australian cricket team's first tour to India and Sri Lanka, or Ceylon as it was known at that time. In
0: 1935, he managed to form an unofficial Australian team and visit the subcontinent at the behest of the Maharaja of Patiala, defying all the resistance by the Australian Cricket Board.
1: We've already heard about that tour in another episode, but it would be interesting to know how Frank Tarrant organised that team and made the tour happen. That was something that made him a true pioneer. Cricket historian and writer Megan Ponsford, who had published a research paper on that tour, explains.
5: There's lots of funny stories about that. He had his ideal list and the Australian Board of Control knocked knocked out you know half of that list because they weren't allowed to go. In the end, he was kind of quite desperate for players. There's one funny story about how he was so desperate to get the last few players to come on that he was even asking footballers, you know, even asking people from different sports. He just wanted some able-bodied young man to kind of come. So, And that's why the tour included a whole lot of names that even cricket aficionados wouldn't have ever heard of. So Frank Tarrant took who he could get, basically, and I think the Maharaja was very disappointed when he saw the selected touring party because he really imagined there were going to be bigger names involved and of course he'd invested quite a lot of money into the whole venture. They were all paid £300 for the tour. They were paid £150 in advance and £150 at the end. They were also paid £3 per week like spending money and at the time that was a significant amount of money you know above the the annual wage at the time.
0: But was that all out of his love for cricket? Gideon Hay says it was not.
3: Well, A, he's an entrepreneur. He's interested in a dollar. You know, he was a professional cricketer who basically played wherever there was money and wherever opportunity presented itself. He turned himself into uh, into a world-class all-rounder but chose to ply his trade for Middlesex rather than seeking international honours. And then he sensed an opportunity arising with the talent in India to make something of Indian cricket internationally. And he was adventurous, he was innovative, he was approachable. And I think because he'd been an Australian in England, he was quite comfortable being a sort of a fish out of water in Indian circles. He was a natural traveller, a natural adventurer. And I think that wakens him to the possibilities of Australia as being a potential opponent for, for India going forward. There's actually little interest in Australia at the time in sending a team or, or certainly receiving a team. We still expected our cricket to revolve on an Anglo-Australian axis. But Tarrant approaches individual players, puts together a, a team of, of gifted older cricketers, and they're dazzled by what they see in India on that trip. And they take that message back to Australia. It's almost as though Indian cricket will develop, whether we're ready for it or not, so we'd better be aware. Cricket, for me, means culture.
1: I don't like cricket, I love it!
6: This is Colours of Cricket.
1: There is another name which is not widely known, Rex Sellers, an Indian-born Australian test player.
0: Rex was born to an Anglo-Indian family in Gujarat and played only one test for Australia against India. He was perhaps the first player of Indian ancestry to play for Australia, says Patrick Skeen.
6: He was a fast, tall leg spinner from South Australia and he had a very famous Sheffield Shield year in 1963-64 where he and Garfield Sobers both took over 50 wickets for South Australia. And Rex Sellers went on to be an administrator in cricket and a very, very highly respected man in, in South Australian cricket. But I'm really interested in how did the Indian fans view Rex Sellers, who moved to Australia when he was a teenage boy, coming back to India to play for India? Did they still think of him as as one of their own? And Ian Redpath was once interviewed and he said, hundreds of fans greeted him as a hero returning home and knew about his childhood in India. As the Australian team walked through the crowd, they shouted, which one is Sellers? And asked to see his magic fingers.
1: Talking about pioneers, we can't miss Rusi Surti. He's been referred to as poor man's Gary Sobis, thanks to his all-round skills
0: on the cricket field. Surti is the only Indian Test player to play in the Sheffield Shield. He was a member of the Indian Test team that came down to Australia in 1967, where he scored four half-centuries and took 15 wickets. Watching his mesmerising performance, both Western
1: Australia and Queensland wanted Roosie on their side, but he chose the offer given by the Lord Mayor of Brisbane, Clem Jones. Indian batting legend Sunil Gavaskar has some personal memories about this great all-rounder.
7: Roosie was one of the uh, guys who was completely fearless. I remember him giving me a pair of leg guards uh, when I was a school kid. I think it was not so much me, but he gave it to my maternal uncle, my mother's uh, elder brother, Madhav Mantri. Madhav Mantri played uh, four test matches uh, for India. Uh, maybe my uncle told him to bring it uh, for me. Sitting there, talking talking cricket with him was always great for me. He had so much of confidence. Uh, that was unbelievable. At, at a time when not every Indian cricketer had the same kind of uh, confidence, uh, self-belief self and confidence. Uh, but Lucy had
0: that. Talking about South Asian-born Australian players... We have to mention a Pakistani player as well, Duncan Sharp. Duncan Sharp had played three test matches for Pakistan before migrating to Australia in 1961 and playing Sheffield Shield for South Australia.
6: He was born in Rawalpindi, an Anglo-Indian who spoke Urdu and he was a wicket-keeper batsman. And he played three home tests against the Aussies in 1959 and that was against Richie Benno and Neil Harvey, Wally Grout and Ray Limwell. And Don Bradman liked him so much that he helped lure him to South Australia, and he became the first Pakistani to play Sheffield Shield. He played alongside Sir Garfield Sobers and Rex Sellers in those South Australian teams. He's still living in in Melbourne today.
0: It is not only players, but there are some others as well, like administrators, coaches, and entrepreneurs. It would still be surprising for many to see that cricket New South Wales was headed by one Indian migrant for a long time, Dr Hari Harinath.
1: It is truly an inspirational story. A medical doctor by profession, Dr Hari Harinath started his official association with cricket in Australia in 1979, when he was appointed as a doctor to the Balmain District Cricket Club. He ultimately became the club's president, overseeing its transition to be renamed as the Sydney Cricket Club in 2007. He was the first non-Anglo person to reach the Board of Cricket Australia.
0: Dr. Harinath took us through
4: his amazing life journey as a cricket administrator. The president of the then Balmain Cricket Club used to import sporting goods from India. And the person who used to come from India, he knew my address. So that was a common link for me for the introduction to the Balmain Cricket Club. And that's how I was introduced. And then I got the Mr. Bennett, who was the president of the club, and also he was the president of the New South Wales Cricket at that time. He said, Doctor, can you come on Saturday to uh, Des Moines, to the club, and spend time there looking after the people? And that is how my journey in cricket started, as a cricket club, at the ground, at the club level, as a doctor. See, when you join a club here, it is not that you go and sit as a doctor because you are educated, you are a technical person. No, no, that's not the goal. I was a person of the club. So apart from looking after the injured people, I was a part of the club working party. That is, you know, whether you clean the tea room or make some sandwiches or marking the pitches, right? cleaning with the broom, the pitch during the lunch break and all. It's all part and parcel of the team. It's the team effort, right? And that team effort was good because it gave me a chance to learn the psychic of the Australian cricket, right? And that was the most important thing. I knew people, players from the grassroots. I knew the players, the club administrators who come from the club to the state level and to the national level then after two years or three years i can't remember exactly the president asked me so why don't you come on the committee right so that's how i became a committee member of the bombay executive club right and when i was interacting with the president he taught me a lot about the administration of the game and in, uh, i think mid 90s or so when he passed away so the committee looked right, left, and center, and they said, you are the president. And once I spent some years on the Sydney Cricket Association, I was again elected, not at Sony, elected by a group of about 45 people from different clubs are there, to be on the committee of the Sydney Cricket Association. And from there, I became the deputy chairman of the Sydney Cricket Association. And from the next, from that step onwards, after a few years, I got in 2000. I got onto the board of Cricket New South Wales, and in 2004, I think got to check those dates. I was elected on the board of Cricket Australia, and it's all elected. It's an election process.
1: Dr. Hari Nath's story should not be seen as a solo journey, but it shows. How big the opportunities are in Australia for any
0: migrant? Yes, that is exactly what Malcolm Conn, a senior cricket journalist and writer, told us about Dr. Harry Harinath.
3: Well, I think that Harry showed that anyone can become involved at in cricket at a grassroots level and succeed and prosper. I mean, he was in charge of cricket New South Wales as chairman. He was a member of the Cricket Australia board, so obviously made a significant contribution to cricket over a reasonable period of time. So I just think that Harry's a classic example of the modern game being an egalitarian game and everyone's got an opportunity if they want to embrace it.
1: Have you ever wondered how Dr Nath made this happen? What was the secret behind his success story?
0: Dr Hari Harinath says being a part and parcel of the club and being involved in its matters helped him
4: on the journey. If I had an ego on my shoulder... I would have faced more barriers, right? So I was one of them, right? But when a person got hurt, when I took the doctor's role, then I was me. And then I gave them the best of the treatment on that, right? So that was the ego. That was the start I never had. I always had my motto was, you always do better than the other people what they do, right? So if somebody can sweep the ground better, I can do better than him, right? So that is how I always competed.
1: I have to agree that Dr. Harinath is a true pioneer. He changed the attitude towards South Asian players during his time at the helm of cricket administration in Australia, both within the community and in a broader sense. Talking about pioneers, You may already know these two Sri Lankan-born cricketers that need a mention, Dav Watmore and Harry Solomons.
0: Dav Watmore is a Sri Lankan-born Australian Test cricketer who went on to coach major South Asian teams. He has helped Sri Lanka win the World Cup, Bangladesh grew a strong team and has coached the Nepali side as well. Cricket journalist Gideon Hay thinks that Watmore's achievements were legendary.
3: Oh, he's a terrific cricketer dav and a terrific coach and he bought I think with his kind of Eastern background but his kind of western upbringing a degree of Australian aggression and competitiveness to cricket in the region he certainly formed a you know a strong bond with Arjuna Ranatunga as Sri Lanka started to become a global force in the in the mid 1990s he went everywhere and did everything and knew everybody and in that sense, gave a kind of an Australian accent to some of the regional accomplishments of, uh, of subcontinental cricket over the next 20 years. We don't like cricket, but we love it.
1: Cricket needs sportsmanship, teamwork, and cooperation. It is also a lot of fun.
4: You're listening to Colors of Cricket.
1: Harry Solomons is a legend in his own rights as well. He's an entrepreneur who at one time had employed great cricketers like the Australian icon Alan Border, the War Brothers and Michael Clarke. Harry Solomons started a cricket store in Sydney with under $10,000. Here's his story in his own words. I
7: came with nothing, just a wife and a child and worked very hard and started playing cricket in Australia, club cricket in Australia, in Sydney. And uh, then uh, I wanted to get into the sports business. So I, while I was playing cricket, I got a many contacts. And then so I started a little sports store with $9,000. My first store was $9,000. From there, we never looked back, you know. And uh, we have uh, done well from there. Now I have uh, four sports stores and 45 staff. 80% of my business is cricket. My first player was Daggy Walters. Then, of course, we went to Alan Border, Mama sponsor, mm-hmm. Alan Border. Then War Brothers, Steve and Mark War, both Vadakara, Kingsgrove Sports Centre. Uh, from 14 years to 19 years, Egalang uh, Kingsgrove Sports Centre, both, of course, <laughs> much, much richer than me now. Michael Clark came to work for me, Vadakkara, when he was 15 years old. 15 years old, he worked for me. He was a good worker. Then there were many, many more. uh...
0: When you think of cricket, most people only think of the game and not everything that goes on behind the scenes. A sports tour is an integral part of the game. So, for someone with the South Asian background to think of, start and successfully run a sports store, they need a special mention, no doubt.
1: We cannot talk about legends and pioneers without talking about the incredible story of Lisa Staliker.
0: Yes, even though we have heard from Lisa on many occasions, her life story is worth listening to in detail.
1: Born in the Western Indian city of Pune, Lisa was adopted by Australian parents when she was just three weeks old
8: was adopted at three weeks of age from an orphanage in Pune or Pune now my uh, adoptive parents uh, one of them my father was born in Bombay my mother was white English and they were actually living in the U.S. at the time so at three weeks of age uh, headed over to the U.S. for 18 months went to Kenya for my father's work for another 18 months and then we were actually on our way dad was about to he was going to study being a doctor in Jamaica in the West Indies but everyone else was on an Australian passport and I was still on an Indian passport so we stopped via Australia to change it and um, the story goes that literally my my mum my sister and I just said how about this place this place is pretty cool let's settle down here so we settled in Australia I was about four years of age and then in terms of cricket my father born and bred in India runs in your blood and He used to play in the backyard with me and took my sister and I to the SCG when I was a young girl and and that's how I found out about the game and fell in love with it.
0: How marvellous it would have been for her to go to the city where she was born and help the country where she lives now to win the World Cup. You're right. Very few sportspersons in the world get that lucky. Lisa
1: was one of them. In 2013, she helped Australia become the world champions in Mumbai, just 150 kilometres away from Pune.
0: And who can forget that amazing catch that she took to finish the game?
1: It was the final game in her international career as well. As Lisa mentioned, a full circle.
8: In the build-up of the 2013 World Cup, I'd known six months out that that was my final tournament. That's what I was kind of pushing towards. It was going to be my third World Cup, which um, back then at that age, if you're a good cricketer, you retire retired around that 34-year age mark, and I was getting to that. Also, we had some young players that were coming through, players like Meg Lanning Alisa Healy, who were sitting on the bench in that 2013 World Cup and then obviously Elise Perry. So the next generation were coming through and I thought it was my time to go. And I thought it was a nice circle to kind of start my life in India and end my cricket career in in India. And Mumbai obviously is a place that as a young girl, I used to go because my grandmother used to live there. So school holidays were spent in Mumbai. So they were all happy memories for me. And I, I was hoping that, I would get the perfect send-off that we would play in a World Cup final, that we would win it and it would be a nice time to retire. As an athlete, you don't often get a fairy tale ending, but I was lucky.
0: Lisa Stalacher is an idol for many young girls now. She has been spending more time in India after retirement with IPL commentary and coaching.
1: It's one of the most amazing stories we've had in Colours of Cricket, isn't it?
0: Have you noticed that many international players from the South Asian countries are relocating to Australia after retiring from the game?
1: Yes, we've seen that for quite a long time. A couple of major names would definitely be Waqar Yunus, former Pakistani pacer, and Tilakaratne Dilshan, former Sri Lankan captain.
0: We heard from Dilshan in the very first episode of Colours of Cricket, about him playing club cricket in Melbourne and coaching kids. He is bringing the South Asian flavour to Australian youngsters. I wonder how many Melbourne kids will be playing the Dill scoop in every match.
1: We really can't mention Dilshan without mentioning Dill scoops. Even though many innovative shots were invented in cricket over the time, this was something that defined the batting style in T20 cricket. A fearless scoop of the fastest of deliveries to the boundary behind the wicket keeper.
0: One thing cricket pundits and coaches always advise is that batters should have their eyes on the ball until they hit it. But Dilshan played his scoops without a glance at the ball.
1: Sanjayan, do you know why that shot was called Dil scoop?
0: Let's ask Dilshan himself. I think it's the 2009 G20 World Cup. After I started playing Dil scoop, then uh, I got the Man of the Series award. I walked to the Man of the Series award to take that award from naza Hussain that time in I. He asked me, what is, you should call for this uh, shot. Then he put four names. Think it, I think ICC put some uh, Twitter, uh, send me a few names for this shot. Then uh, I, I can't remember the three names. Then Nasa Sen mentioned four names. Four names there, see, the deal scoop also there. Hmm. Then I said, why not? I'm happy to take uh, my name uh, uh, to that shot. Uh, I said, I, we call deal scoop. From there, they start deal scoop, yeah.
1: This episode has focused on pioneers who've made an impact in the world of cricket, both here locally and on the world stage.
0: Cricket always moves forward. There are new pioneers constantly coming through and making their mark on the game. Like Nivedan Radha Krishnan, the ambidextrous bowler, or Alana King, the Australian spin sensation, who we will talk about further in the next episode of Colours of Cricket. You've been listening to Colours of Cricket, a podcast by SBS.
1: Our production lead is Diju Shivadas.
0: And the series producers are Sahil Makar, Avas Parajuli, Matsal Patel, Preeti Jabal and me, Kulasegram Sancheyan.
1: With input from the nine South Asian language programmes at SBS, and external advisor,
0: Patrick Skeen. Sound design by Max Gosford. For more information, head to sbs.com.au slash Colours of Cricket.